Okay, everybody, welcome. This is Tom Ihorsek, the host of the Agile Gardeners. Today, we have Jonathan Howell and Alan Jealous with us today. Topic for today is psychological safety, creating, nurturing, and sustaining this agile belief. Is it a belief? Is it a requirement? Just what is this? I think it's a cornerstone to a lot of the things that um, agility and agile kind of bring to the table, bring to an organization. Um, I think it's also one of the most difficult things to do um, and create and sustain. I think that old habits are hard to change and hierarchical organizational structures um, do a lot in many cases to annihilate psychological safety. I'd say that's definitely over the course of my career, but um, I've also seen instances where it's been created and the outcome is incredible um, but I've also seen it where you've I've had it established but one small mistake can sink the ship very quickly so it's a very I look at it as a very delicate balance and um, something that is a must not a like to have it's a, it's a must how do you get a self-managing self-organizing team um, without it I don't know because they need to it needs to be safe for them to make decisions and it needs to be safe to fail whatever that definition of failure might be within your organization so let's kick it off and um i think i'm gonna start with jonathan today since he's got a new haircut so what you got for us today john so i, I was thinking about safety Forget the psychological bit for a minute. If we just talk about safety. I was I was thinking that's why you got your haircut. You felt psychologically yeah, safe to get your haircut. Yeah. So if I look at safety, you know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail in some instances, not in others. If I work for NASA, I don't think I'd want something failing out in space. However, if I'm working on um, my traditional types of environments, which is not my current environment, then it would be safe. Uh, okay to fail because it's safe to fail so safety and psychology sit hand in hand in these scenarios you know i want to know that if it fails it fails in a safe way i want to know that if i fail i'm failing in a safe way in other words i want to know that failure is accepted by the organization and by the culture i don't want to find out that i've tried something uh, and because it's failed i'm out of a job but I would like to know that if I've tried something and it's failed, then on my next iteration, it succeeded, that I've made the com company a lot of money. You know, so I think there has to be an understanding of what we mean by safety before you can start talking about psychological safety. Okay, so so what is safety then? Um, is it that you get no reprisals in if things don't go your way and or your team's way in, in doing something? Just what, what is safety? So I think that's the first thing you've got to do as an organization. You've got to define what the boundaries are for safety. You know, if I, if I blow a billion bucks, a million bucks, is that safety? Or it might be for a huge international organization, but if I blow a million bucks and I'm a, a startup company, I probably just bankrupt the company. So I think it starts by identifying what the boundaries are to safety. You know, so you've got to define, define the parameters of what is acceptable before you can start exploring psychological safety in, an, in a meaningful way. Okay, so... I've never been in an organization or in a project in which the effort was made to define what is safe. It's always been a discovery journey. 
You know, how far do you push it before you get your hand slapped? How bad does it go before you stand before the magistrate and go, mm, yep, screwed up, didn't realize that was important to you. I thought we had some, you know, autonomy here. But uh, So have any of you actually had that discussion prior to engagement? Because I haven't. Yeah, I have actually. I've had where we've agreed a number of different ways, where we've agreed a percentage of time for experimentation. So I work for a company called Grand Parade and they allocated 30% of all time for experiments. Now, that's the time when you can play with things, experiment, you can fail. The other 70% of the time, it's about performance and delivery. So that's one example. I've worked in a journey lab where we were told, you still have to deliver, but you can go about how you deliver any way you want. So if you try something that doesn't work, you've got to recover it to make sure it delivers on time. So yeah, I have. Okay. But I think you touched on something, Tom, and that is pushing those boundaries and understanding where those boundaries and limits are. And this is where the coach comes into it. You know, we, we look at development and we talk about return on investment. As a coach, we're looking at individuals and we're talking about where is the maximum benefit that they can identify and deliver for themselves. And we support them in understanding that and reaching that goal. But we act as a guardrail. We stop them going off at a tangent that's going to be dangerous to themselves or dangerous to the organisation. So we act as that defining boundary. Almost so, a sense check. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you're going to put that on the coach and the coach has to know what the boundaries are to, to help keep the group that they're working with within the fence, so to speak. Right? Yeah. But, but even then, should there be a fence? At, I mean, yeah, I, okay, I'd, I'd say you're right. If I lost a million dollars on a startup, it would be the end of the organization in, in many cases, possibly. Um, but then again, how often do you really know what they, they are and have that knowledge up front to share with the team? And maybe it falls in line, you know, safety, the boundaries for say what's safe. It falls in line with um, transparency. You have to be transparent. I think that's one of the key things about um, establishing psychological safety is when the leadership of the organization is willing to be transparent about everything so everybody can make good decisions at the various levels of the organization. Um, that's an indication of what some of the boundaries, potential indication what some of the boundaries of safe are. They'll tell you, okay, you know, we lost 30%. That was bad. We can't do that again. Okay, that there's a boundary there. Um, we spent so many more man hours developing a solution or a product, and we really, it cost us this. And therefore, we need it. And what we really were targeting is some number lower than that. So that's a boundary, I would think. So you, I guess maybe I haven't seen it. A I guess what I was looking for, having a, a structured conversation of, of where the safe boundaries lie. I, I haven't had that. It's always been kind of a, you figure it out as you go along. So uh, before I hand over to Arlen, because I'm convinced we haven't given him a chance to speak yet. I would argue that you have, because what you do is you work in iterations, you know, you chip at something and then you chip again and then you chip again until you reach that limit. It goes back to how bold is bold enough. You mm. see, it's the opposite side of that, mm. you know, when is enough enough? You know, so you may not have had the actual conversation that says, here is the line in the sand, but psychologically you are building the line in the sand. Don't go that far. 
you know, if you want to change culture, you don't do it overnight. You take your time. You do it meaningfully and carefully. You do it incrementally. Mm. Alan, what do you think to that? Uh, I, w- I will start with uh, with the belief uh, what uh, Thomas kicked, kicked out uh, this discussion. Uh, if uh, we, you know, as an individual, if we believe uh, in uh, work we are doing and we are happy and we can see that we are contributing for something, uh, at least for me, I will feel safe. I, uh, I will... Uh, not be afraid to kind of push the boundaries. Uh, and uh, another thing what I learned uh, as well uh, is many of us, or yeah, yeah majority of us are using f- failure, you know, uh, fail fast and agile kind of allowing us to fail fast. But what I learned, uh, and actually different approach, uh, also what I see with uh, my teams, it's uh, if I say, okay, it's allowed to learn something new. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stop using failure as an option. I start using learning as an option. And, you know, as Jonathan mentioned, this iteration and culture stuff. Yeah, you know, we have a lesson learned first iteration we learn something, you know, then next iteration, new learning, new journey started. And uh, what I realized just, you know, with this small shift in wording, that people start feeling, uh, you know, kind of more safe. They they were not uh, afraid to push the boundaries. And of course, we have a uh, organization culture and values but also depends on the you know uh, culture of the country where people are living i work at you know and still working with people around the world but what is kind of uh, pushing boundaries in copenhagen or us it's kind of yeah, there is long line but maybe in india or china that borderline it's so short uh, so that's also something what I kind of learned and use it when working with uh, my colleagues uh, in uh, India, especially uh, when I met them face to face, when I vi- was visiting them, uh, then first thing what I did, I asked their manager to leave the meeting room. And then we start working on things what we should do. And then I learned they were so much more open than if their manager was in the room. So to conclude, you know, learning instead of failure, it can really enable uh, or encourage to more safety in our environment. Daniel, you raise a hand. Yeah, I, 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 Just going to completely agree with everything you said there, Alan, about the learning side of things. You know, there is always something new to learn and how you apply that learning is what makes you um, a better person. Mm. The person who just goes along with the flow, never challenges the status quo, is never going to improve their own working environment or those of the colleagues around them. I think the interesting word that we've all used, and it struck me really hard when Alan used it, 
was we've referenced the word boundary. We've all said boundary, mm. you know, and, and you know, we, we talk about pushing the boundary, you know. Well, if we're pushing the boundary, that implies that we're recognizing that that is a, a line in the sound that we're trying to move, and therefore there's your safety buffer, you know. Uh, how far you push it depends on the appetite of the organization. But that is the psychological side of it, isn't it? Because there's the implied boundary. I also, you know, what we've been talking about is failure. There's a lot of other aspects of psychological safety, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So maybe the top top concern is what happens when I fail, and what is what's the definition of that? I really liked out what you said, Alan. Just take that and just turn it around 180 degrees, right? And say no. It's how do we learn? How how do we as an organization learn? And so that gives you pretty i think can help develop having a conversation around that can help develop what those boundaries are what do we want to learn how do we want to learn through experimentation through through this amount of time through you know dedicated to experimentation those kind of things um and then what's gonna what's the outcome of when it when we do something we just actually didn't learn anything is that then possibly a failure but um just maybe getting completely away from that aspect Okay, so so we got the big one out of the way. Let's say I, I think anyway. Um, they're learn. Let's let's define learning. In, so in- I, I think Tommy, you've got another one, and that's about personal trust. And, and I'm going to paraphrase a text message I got. Um, so I've, I've been asked to do a five-hour drive to be on site next week on one of my clients. And this is an extract from a, a, a text message that I got. And it's a lovely phrase that I got. And it just radiated when I read it and thought, this is really relevant to today. So it reads, I think the benefits of you being in the lab will radiate far beyond your actual physical location. So me being present on site is going to bring a comfort factor. Mm-hmm. Far more than the actual part of the site that I'm sat in. The fact that I'm just going to be there. You know, so... That's psychological safety. It's I, trust. I, that's that. There's a double-edged sword there, though, right? Because, all right, they've seen you virtually, maybe I'm assuming. And um, okay, so now shit's gone bad enough where you have to be there. So what are they going to be looking if they if they're aware of things not going well, and all of a sudden you show up? It's like okay, either they're going to watch every move you make and everything you say and make a decision based on that whether or not you're good or bad so this is your defining moment right now about psychological safety is your presence that you choose to take when you get there i think that's interesting this in this scenario no it's not quite right true i've been on site several times Hmm? um and yeah they've got they're facing into some challenges what is interesting however is the discussion about whether I should wear a suit or not. Um, so every time I've been on site, I've been in casuals because I know that if I put a suit on, people react differently to me. What they have asked me to do is to actually turn up in formal way in, in suit because in this scenario, you know, we need to establish meaningful control of where we're at whilst reassuring people. So it, it goes back to trust. But it also goes back to the message that you're putting out at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite the reason that it resonated with me was the fact that they recognized simply by being there that, that it brings 
the psychological safety that they're feeling they need at the moment. I've been down several times. Uh, I could quite easily do what I'm going to be doing next week from home, but physically being on site is going to bring some psychological safety with it. It's quite a compliment, but it's quite it, it's just a bit of an eye opener at the same time. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, if I may add, uh, you know, it could be you know, double edged sword, as Tom said, but in the same time, you already build the trust they know what you can contribute with your experience and your you know capabilities and now uh, because of uh, you know your clients want you to be formal you are showing up but you will still behave as they know you maybe you will push some buttons to you know to get in the focus but kind of you will still still be a, a authentic it will not be maybe they will think authority when they see you in the suit but you will stay jonathan as you know who you are in that professional world and that's i think uh, from you know uh, audience point of view they could be scared when they see you first morning but then after lunch is oh this is this is jonathan you know guys let's do it and Another. as as you jonathan said you know it it will start creating this uh, safety and now we are actually fortunate fortunate that we have a jonathan so we don't need to organize zoom meetings or something let's talk openly about and then we can talk about boundaries or learnings and stuff that's uh, how i see it yeah so i i see it's about relationships so, what, so what's the why do you have to wear a suit sorry to talk over you but i'm like this <laughs> this formal wear is really like why why if you've always shown up in, in casual informal right so that's how they know jonathan so yes. and they've asked you to come in with the suit on it's like oh, suit generally expresses authority especially in in your position outside coming you you tend to try to you know help guide the organization let's say so um, I think Tommy, in answer to your question, it's that my style is very much from the centre or the back of the classroom, as I've said in another yeah. podcast. And this is a front of the classroom approach that's required here. So need me to stand out uh, in what what will be an interesting week. Um, and therefore, they need to see that presence as well as feel that presence. But the point I was making about it was it's about the relationships. You know, so psychological yeah. safety starts with relationships. It actually starts and ends with relationships because if you break that relationship, then you break the psychological safety. And I think it's much harder to gain the trust and that working that working practice than it is to break it. It's very it's always fragile, and I've seen it in, in, with organisations I work with where I've seen a very high performing, well balanced team suddenly become unstable because of something that's happened with an individual. And suddenly everything that's been built up has been like a house of cards that come crashing down. Yeah. But it's always about relationships. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So I understand and um, wish you the best next week. I know this has been a challenge for you at times, so it's, it's good. They want to see the picture, Jonathan is shoot, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Share. You got to share. <laughs> So I, I was telling Alan uh, whilst we were waiting for Tom to dry his tea from his computer. <laughs> it's a computer needs safety from him. <laughs> um, I, 
I once was part of a group that were writing, we did a challenge. It was, can you write a meaningful article in the comments field of LinkedIn? Because you're only limited to about 250 characters. Mm. Uh, and I wrote several, but one of them is why I wear a suit to work on digital transformations. Uh, and it, it came from a director who said, you're on a digital transformation. Everyone's in jeans. Why are you in a suit? And my answer was really straightforward. It's that every single year that I've worked, I've had a tailor-made suit made. I've got more suits than I've got jeans. Like <laughs> where these suits wear out, and I'll have more jeans than suits. The message in the article was: you don't change for the sake of change. You change because it's the right time and for the right reason. Mm. And to me, that is the essence of psychological safety in practice. You know, you don't change because everyone else is changing. You change because it's the right thing to do for the circumstances that you're facing into. And this goes back to where do those boundaries lie? Well, those boundaries are defined by what's going on in the organisation at the time. So what's acceptable today may not have been acceptable 12 months ago. And we're all seeing it with the way the world's changing and changing rapidly. COVID, good example of it. You know, it would not have been acceptable practice to be working from home every day. Uh, and now it's an accepted practice. And the next stages beyond that is who knows what, you know. Mm. Psychological safety is, is very circumstantial as well. It's, organ, it's organization-based and it's circumstantial and what's accepted today may not be accepted tomorrow. And it's cultural as well. That's, that's part of the learning, isn't it? I mean, the organization's learning as well, what's acceptable, what's not. So, so it's dynamic. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, you know, that if we can bring agility now in the picture, you know, adapting to the new situation, something trigger you know, maybe inside or outside of organization or the people like a COVID. But many of us uh, luckily are capable to adapt to the new situation. And as a humans, we just call it new normal until normal, normal became normal again. You know? yeah. And th th that's a beauty of, uh, I would say, you know, our yeah, human brain how we can easily adapt to new situation. But then question my right, why some of these, you know, companies have uh, challenges to adapting to uh, agility or try to uh, apply some of these agility yeah, mindset, if I can call it, what's triggering them or what's preventing them uh, to do that, to make kind of next move. Okay, so at the heart and soul of agile and agility is embracing change versus fighting change. To me, waterfall, oh, you fight change. You get everything predefined, you execute to the impossible in many cases. Um, tons of opportunities for excellence, as a friend of mine used to come and tell me, and I always have to run as fast as I can because that always meant more work. So... Um, anyway, so embracing change is kind of heart and soul to understanding, uh, at least I think, uh, psychological safety and learning. If we're going to take the failure aspect and transpose that into learning. So change is vital to learn in the learning process. So is it a value? Because, I mean, I know I haven't had the conversations directly, but maybe if you, you tailor the question um, to the organization that you're working with or for, um, what is your vision of change and, and your ability to embrace change or not? Maybe that's a conversation worthy of having to help you establish the boundaries. 
Um, and uh, then it's like, okay, so what do you do when you go into a team and, um, you know, for the first time and, and you're trying to figure out how do you establish and, and create psychological safety within that team? I know, Jonathan, you say all the time uh, that, you know, you spend the first, you know, week or whatever in the back of the classroom, right? Just observing. Sure. Now, I think some people can view that like, what is this guy doing here? Why are you here? You know, I'm sure you temper that a little bit in conversation. I'm just, I don't, you know, I'm learning maybe. Yeah, if they ask, that's exactly what I tell them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I also emphasize there are no right and wrongs. Hmm. I'm here to help you find new opportunities and new ways of working. So I was going back to the title about creating and nurturing. You know, and you create these things and you nurture these things in small steps. You know, if you try and do it all yeah. at once, you're never going to get there. But if you think about it from the guys on the ground perspective, if you do something small with them and they go, wow, that was really good. Can we try this now? So you encourage them from that perspective to experiment. But if you're at the exec level and you go, I want to do this big change, they're going to go, no way. But if you make a small step and say, look at the improvement you've had, can we try this next thing? And if you go back to the concept of the boundary, the boundary's already shifted before you've even started. It's about shifting expectations. And this, yeah. to me, is how you move towards sustainability because if you if you do it incrementally mm. and in small steps and they take ownership of it, everybody sees the benefit of it. If you try and say, exec, what's your vision? Right, we're going to make it happen for you. You're forcing it on people. Mm. It has to be a joined-up journey. So get the goal from the exec give the opportunities to the, the teams on the ground and try and help them marry up. And that's that's the art of the coach. I agree with Jonathan. Uh, I'm doing uh, a little bit, uh, if I can call it opposite, uh, uh, in front of room instead of, you know, behind uh, behind the scenes. But what I'm uh, when I'm starting engagement, uh, I'm opening myself and showing my journey and kind of my vulnerability, what I learned on, on my journey towards, you know, agility and uh, applying and showing, uh, yeah, both, uh, you know, uh, success, but also all this learning and explaining people, yes, you know, we will learn these things, you know, <clears throat> there will be challenging, there will be bumps on the road, you know, be open and, you know, don't kind of tell them, it's silver bullet. Yeah, we are going to save sixty percent, you know, in the some cost or earn two billions. We know that will not happen, you know. And what 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 is my experience when I show my journey and my learnings? Then people start kind of uh, feeling uh, they're more saved. Then they start sharing ideas. Uh, you know, say, okay, but can we do this? Because sometimes. I experience people get scared, you know, and oh, agile change, transformation. And they ask, can we do that? So, of course, let's try. Yeah. As Jonathan mentioned about experiments, you know, let's try this experiment. And on a couple of teams, uh, what worked really good for me, uh, we had uh, two, two, two sprints, uh, like, you know, uh, running for months. And then we had one week uh, for experimentation and consolidation, where they spent uh, one week not any kind of work as such related uh, stuff, but experimenting, looking, you know, in some codes or if it's, you know, some software things and some of these stuff. 
And they really, really like applying that. We have this two to one uh, kind of term in the teams and really, really uh, teams uh, enjoy it. And they felt they can, you know, contribute and they are kind of, uh, there is possible to learn something new and try something, say, ah, this is not important anyway, you know. So that's uh, my my approach uh, in the, this particular situation. So it's interesting, if I go back to Tom's question, why the suit? It's because mm. they want me to be visible at the front. Mm. You know, that's mm. exactly why they want me there in the suit this week. It's nothing yes. more than it's to, to raise that visibility. You've got a senior manager who embraces change, who embraces and encourages the experimentation, who's actually on the journey with you. You know, I think yeah. I think you touched on some good points there, Alan, in particular how you don't try and do it all in one go with all the teams. You know, work with a couple of teams, show that it works. Other people go, oh, that's interesting. Can we have a go at that? And, mm-hmm. and then I've seen it where teams go, that's interesting, but we'd like to do it differently. Is that okay? Why are you asking my permission? You don't need my permission to do it. And then what so we can just do it? Well, obviously, you can't just do what you want. It has to benefit the organisation. There's your boundary mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're not going to break production, as long as you're working towards the, the goal of the organisation, sure, why not try it that way? Exactly. And if it's you know a totally new team on this journey, then I also tell them, you know, Please try it, do the experiment. If something's happened, you know, un- unexpected, I-, I can take conversation with your managers or with some other managers. Again, putting myself in front of like, like protecting them. And they, then uh, I learned they, they were much more keen to push their boundaries, not any more kind of organization, but their boundaries. Yeah. to do more experiment and learn more. So I, I believe people set their own natural boundaries. Um, we're all, phrase that we use over here, I don't know if it translates to you guys, it's um, we're comfortable in our skin. Um, it's not human nature to want to step and push them boundaries, although there are some people who do. Um, you know, when you start thinking about nurturing um as coaches, what we're doing is we're actually challenging people. We're probably in the bear just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in these circumstances, by prodding them in a way that challenges themselves to, to reflect on themselves, that's when you start the, the, the creativity starts to flow. And what you're then talking about is ensuring that they're, they're creative in a safe way so that they're not causing themselves to go backwards or the organizations go backwards and in some instances actually i'm wrong it's right to go backwards you've got to go backwards to go forwards you know so psychological safety starts with a with the questions you know what are we doing and why do we want to change it you know um what is acceptable what isn't acceptable you know can we push this boundary do we even want to push that boundary you know because there's some boundaries i probably won't want to touch well and and back to what alan was saying earlier is like what what can we learn yeah what's what's the learning from that like you said you know you, you can take you can fall backwards yeah that's okay did you learn what did you learn well, we learned we can't take that approach we have to take it we we need to find some different way of, of taking on those kind of challenges mm. okay all right so and the nurturing side the question um because i've seen this happen often far too often actually um and you know 
you have to be careful about what other people say, right? Especially from the leadership team to the organization. Um, and how do you address instances where um, an individual just just throws a bomb in the in the group, and you've got to go in and clean up the the mess? In other words, you've had a, a team that had a strong psychological safety. Everybody's really kind of hitting on all cylinders as a group. We've got things moving in, in regard to what we need to do, driving solutions. And all of a sudden, something happens. Whether it's something somebody says, some information that gets out, but all of a sudden, everybody, you show up the next day, and they're all looking at each other, and nobody's saying a word. There might be one person that has that look in their eye. They're going, do I say it? Do I not say it? And then your job is to... Because you're sent, you're going to sense it as a coach. Or you should, if you're tied into your team, right? You're like, what's going on here? Okay, who's going to tell me? And then what are we going to do about it? And I like I like to ask back, what are we going to do about it? Because it's you know self organizing, self managing. What's the self managing aspect of the team going to do in order to deal with this situation, and learn and grow? Anybody? Yeah, I'll take it if Alan doesn't want it. <laughs> Alan, do you want it? Please, please go ahead. No, Alan, Alan you go. You go, Alan. Come on. <laughs> I go far too often first. Alan, you go. We're going we're gonna to put Jonathan in the back of the room for this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, as you, Tom, said, you know, uh, yeah, it could be this situation that uh, if I'm there uh, as their coach, uh, of course, you know, asking the question, uh, you know, is it uh, something or guys, what is happening here? Uh, and if it's still quiet and maybe I have a, some, some background a story, you know, then I will bring my example. Probably I have been through that as well before. Uh, and uh, say, you know, guys, you know, if I understood correctly, uh, if this situation happened, uh, you know, I tried the same. And what we did at that time was something. Is it something you would like to explore together? Mm. Uh, that will be kind of my first step towards them. And then I will keep mentioning and what could we so learn from that? Uh, you know, depending on situation and the, yeah, urgency of, of situation if I can call like that but we'll invite them invite them to bring bring it on okay so somebody's violated somebody's trust that's probably at the heart and soul of the issue that would mm. you agree because as Jonathan has mentioned right trust is the at the center of this psychological safety mm. so trust has been violated either by an individual or to a group in general or something. And so you, you're basically going to the group and offer them from your experience what's helped. I think at, in some instances, if depending on your position in the um, organization as a coach, whether you're internal or external. External gives you a little bit of an uh, advantage, I think, um, when it comes to cleaning up a mess, so to speak. Because you can come in and say, well, well, what does that mean? I, you know, you can, you can just play like you don't know, 
right? Tell, explain mm. this to me as a way to get them to speak and tell you what this really means to them. You know, you don't know the history of the organization or you pretend not to know. But anyway, mm. you, it's, it's just a tool in your toolbox to, to get them to talk and explain it in sufficient detail that you can then really get to the root cause. What, what, what string did this thing that happened pull that created this, that, that destroyed the trust. And what are we going to do about it? Um, okay. I think that's a good thing. How about you, Jonathan? I don't want so, you that far back in the room. You do get to speak. <laughs> I was writing notes. So ah. you've walked in and it's quiet. It's going to be quiet for, as you call out trust, or they may be in shock. Yes, they've heard something that shocks uh -huh. them. Yeah. It could be their beliefs have been challenged. What they thought was right is no longer right, or the company values are not what they thought they were, or they may feel let down. Mm. So there are four different scenarios that I just jotted down whilst you were talking and just thinking it through. And there is one thing that I would use in all of those scenarios, uh, and I'm not a big games player, but a retrospective game. You know, rebuild the trust, understand and explore what's happened, get them talking about it, re-challenge themselves, re-establish their values, rebuild that trust. You know, we use, we use things like team manifestos for a reason. It builds a team, it builds an empowered unit, it builds trust. And if they're quiet in the room, something's broken. So, so let's run a retrospective on where they're at, find the suitable one that helps address what's happened to them so that they can redefine and dust themselves down start again mm -hmm. yeah i use it once uh, also yeah team, team values for manifesto and then i asked them uh, which of these value you believe are valid uh, 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 what's the call uh, evaluated the value and then yeah. they start you know easily to to talk and if they are if they were kind of still like, you know, someone don't want to start discussions. Okay, let's let's just, you know, post it at that time and we could be in the office, you know. Let's everybody post their opinion on the whiteboard and then we can take from there. And then engagement yeah. started and discussion. But I, I like, uh, Jonathan, your, your point. But there's another part to this as well, Alan, and that is um, mm -hmm. where this originates from. So if it originates from inside the team, your approach is going to be different to if it's originated outside the team. If it's originated inside the team and that root cause has gone, i.e. the person's left the organisation, then you're going to have a different approach to if the person is still within the team. Mm. You know, so that if you're then in the scenario where the person's still within it's the like team... It's like proximity, right? There's a little bit of distance and, and maybe in, within the hierarchy of the organisation, right? So somebody's done something. Yeah, like yeah. I think it's a lot more damaging if it's right within the team and it has to be dealt with a lot swifter and more diplomatically at times. So, so this is where it, it becomes interesting, whereby there are techniques that you can use that are anonymous. So there, there, there are various ways you can portray information without naming names or individuals, but, mm -hmm. you know, health, health checks, radiated, uh, temperature check type stuff that you can then explore as a team without necessarily pointing the finger at the person. Because the person may even be oblivious of what they've actually done, or they may have done it and realised they've done it, uh, but don't want to talk about it because it's embarrassing. You know, this is about mm. building and fostering trust. It goes back to where we started, psychological safety. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to you've got to re-establish that safety, including yeah. that person, because if they if they've caused it inadvertently, they're probably hurting just as bad as everyone else. I guess it's whether or not they're aware of it or not, right? Yeah. But I mean, the way you deal with it as a coach is going to have a direct impact on the organization that groups that team's uh, psychological safety. Unless, of course, you're the person that calls it as the coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... I've been there. I've been there where I've had a, a specific requirement that had to be delivered, and the team have not liked it. You know, and then that rocks the boat. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to find a, a new balance with the team because so, suddenly you're you're not the um, you're not the person that they thought you were, and even though you are the person they thought you were, because you've, you're working to a slightly different mandate to where you originated, they have to reevaluate and reset that relationship with you. Hmm. Well, I guess I guess if you're given direction to do a certain thing um, by whoever might have brought you in, um, in order to precipitate a change that they felt was necessary, and that would change the position that you take with as you address the team. And maybe what the outcome is, but it's a matter of how you you present that to them and give them some opportunity to shape how they respond to that change. I think would be um, a good approach to that, because it's one thing for you to you know get a new remit or a revision to your remit, and go in and just dump it on them and not listen. So for for me, Tommy, it was the other way around. Um, I came into a presentation with the teams, multiple teams, mm-hmm. and we would tell what was coming next. And they immediately thought that I was in the middle of that because this comes to change uh-huh. direction of where we were going. You know, so the first thing I had to do is, is establish and reestablish the fact that no, I knew nothing about this. And then it was like, and, and how are we going to make this happen? You know, so yeah, but it, it took a while. It wasn't just a matter of, no, guys, that had nothing to do with me. You know, this has caught me uh, left of field. It was just, you know, it, it happens. But it, it all goes back to the basics about, you know, who who establishes the psychological safe, safety? And the answer for me is the team establishes the psychological safety. And as coaches, we, we support them in establishing that safety. Yeah, I think we, we help facilitate it, right? Because you, you could have... Like in the ultimate form of agile and agility organizations, you should have self-forming teams, right? You should be able to, people that need to be a part of something just naturally go there, right? And that can create some issues, um, knowledge issues and and hierarchy within the team at times. But we, as I see it anyway, agile coaches are facilitators and to the nurturing of a group psychological safety. It's not that we own it. It doesn't do any good for us to own it. We can't own it. Every individual within the group that we're working with needs to embrace it and share it with other members of once we get back to this whole community aspect. I think psychological mm-hmm. safety is at the heart of a healthy community. We know when we need to step in to help each other. We know when we need to step away and give each other some space. Um, we know, we should know, and, and this is, I think those are all elements of trust. Um, we should know what hand we need to extend and if we need to bring others in to help with the situation that, that we as a group are, are dealing with. And as agile mm-hmm. coaches, it's, it's, this is, 
you know, I don't think it's fair to say we're hurting cats, but it's, um, it, we're, maybe we're just like water trying to help everything flow in the manner that it needs to go in order to bring about the best possible result in, in, in the, in everybody's trust within the group. So I think the word you look at is in the title that you've laid, laid out for today, nurturing. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And to add to nurturing uh, stuff, we started with the failure, right? And then we move it to learning, but then we should also uh, encourage and reward both individuals and the team with the, you know, acknowledgement, uh, you know, constructive feedback, uh, work with them, encourage them to uh, acknowledge each other and provide the feedback to each other. Uh, you know, and that's also uh, where we can build a yeah, strong team or strong or sustainable uh, change in organization when we remove from this fear kind of way of thinking and enable yeah, learning and rewards in the nice world or, you know, the team get uh, some voucher or whatever could be, but as a leader to show appreciation mm. for their contribution. And that will also, I think, create this uh, a healthy culture in the team. They will feel uh, more safe. And I think uh, apart from motivation, I think they will also be more curious to try some more experiments and again push these boundaries uh, what we also talk about i think it's really vital for us to recognize those individuals who typically are are at the back of the bus you know who who don't normally step up and and make themselves known but are vital to the movement of the organization and when they do something when they embrace change in some way that we reinforce that with positive reinforcement that, you know, I really understand how difficult this is for you. And that fact that you stepped up is we really appreciate because it, it makes a significant difference in what we can do going forward. If, if that be the case, because I think that we all thirst to know that we did the right thing and feel as though we did. And, and it's part of that uh, reinforcing and nurturing of that psychological safety. Oh, it's okay for me. I can, I can, extend my re beyond the boundaries of, of what I was told my job was, so to speak. Um, and maybe you can unlock some interest that they have in, in their personal life that, that helps them work in that fashion. And, and that means uh, within the group, I, I think it's, you know, yeah, it's a real stuff. vital aspect. We, we focus a lot here on the conversation on the negative aspects of psychological safety, right? How do you combat, um, when it fails, what do you need to do to to address a an, an issue? Let's say, but now, and I think I appreciate it, Alan, because it's like, okay, wait a minute here. There's two sides to this coin. How do you address? How do you take those moments, those of positive, and turn it and and continue to grow that psychological safety? And I think that that's that's one aspect of it mm. is acknowledging when individuals step beyond their their comfort zone. And put themselves out there and really make it have a positive impact on the on the team. Exactly. So I think one of the interesting things about Agile that draws me to Agile is the fact that it gives people a voice that wouldn't have a voice. And it's also how you apply it. So most people are aware of planning poker. Um, mm. 
the, the, and there's there's a great thing that I learned early on. Um, so you get the high and you get the low score. And somebody, when I was being mentored, turned around to me and said, John, you're doing it wrong. Said, what do you mean? So well, you're going, right, let's compare the high and the low. You should never do that. It's because if you do the high first, the low is going to close up on you. If you do the low first, and they've got a valid point, everyone's going to go, oh, my goodness, I never realised it was so simple. So simple things like that about being mindful that the person who's gone high has probably got a lot of experience and is being cautious, whereas the person who's low may have a brainwave that nobody's even thought of. Go high, low, don't go, don't go, don't go high, low, go low, high. Mm. So being aware of things like that. Um, techniques such as liberating structures that allows people to have a voice without being the loudest voice. You know, those sort of techniques encourage people to speak up. You know, and, and this is the reason why I love Agile because you know I I could probably give an answer to most questions, but it's probably not the right answer. It's probably not. It's definitely not the best answer. But by giving everybody a voice collectively, we'll come up with something better between us. And I, I, therefore, I, I like it. Some of these things what we learn at uh, during our uh, training, this path of possibilities. Mm. You know, uh, where we are always looking for a yeah, possibility with some new opportunities. You know, and I I read recently an article about this. You know, uh, negative versus positive stuff, and uh, they figure out. You know, when you say uh, something uh, negative to the person, then you need to say at least three positive things before person kind of come to the balance again and say, okay, now I got it. So uh, maybe also what we could work on, uh, on our communication, how we are communicating, and especially maybe encourage some of these leaders, how they are communicating with, you know, again, uh, acknowledgement, constructive feedback, uh, rewards. Yeah. You know, like, like I've had some, instances where in engineering we're doing some brainstorming of ideas and I've had, you know, executives come in and I've taken them aside and said, you cannot say anything negative or you must start any comment that you want to make with a positive because we cannot afford to, to just blow out the flames of creativity from the very get-go. It's very simple. Come on. Nobody wants to, to just get bashed every time they throw an idea. That's really psychologically safe to do that. Yeah, okay, they're just going to call me an idiot. <laughs> but you know what? That idiotic idea is probably being maximized by some entrepreneur somewhere around the world and down the road somewhere. And <laughs> people are going to be going, what happened? I lost my $10 million, you know? So, uh, I mean, allowing everyone to speak, you know, what's interesting, and I got, this is maybe a soapbox, but you know, what I've found is that at the heart and soul of agile and agility is, is being good humans. Yeah. Yep. Inclusive, embracing diversity, um, embracing change, different views, you know, Oh, it's like, come on, just can't we be a, a group of good human beings? Now, I think in many cases, at least in, in my experience, it's funny how you get a group together and they, they don't want to be good human beings to each other. They just like, no, I want to I establish that I'm the king of whatever knowledge I have. 
and you need to do what I tell you to do. Things like that. Or, you know, I've been here longer than you, so I don't want to listen to what you have to say. And and psychological safety and being good humans says, well, okay, I, I, I appreciate your experience. And I really look to unlock that experience and how we can really make a significant difference in, in the challenge that we face. Things like that. Mm. Um, and, and turning that around. But that's the challenge, I think, in many instances as an Agile coach is that you've got to take that dynamic and turn it into this high-performing team, which is interesting, right? You, you hear all this stuff about, I guess, before Agile, anyway, I heard a lot of talk about high-performing teams. Just what the hell is a high-performing team? Yeah, yeah. It's, a yeah. Good, it's a group of human beings being good, creative, <laughs> inspirational, doing meaningful, passionate things. That's high-performing. <laughs> There's nothing. It's no, no, no rocket science to no it. <laughs> it's exactly. just being good people. <laughs> how how difficult it can be. <laughs> I know it could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, and maybe yeah, maybe that's the key to it, Alan. Is that how difficult can that be? Mm-hmm. Why do we put up so much resistance to be that? Mm. You know, to to sit back and listen versus talk over everybody. You know. Um, you know, to say stupid things sometimes, just the stupidest thing. You know, I look at some of the instances I've dealt with in, in conflict when two very opposing organizations come together and have to work with something. You know, and a guy reaching across the desk, I've told this story before, but, you know, okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive this, let alone turn this into a high-performing team. Um, it was like, oh, my God. Uh, but, um, it's possible. It's really possible, but, and you just kind of, kind of keep your cool and kind of, you know, work your way through it. And, and I guess the key is, is listening and, and getting everybody to be empathetic, which is just another good human mm. characteristic. Yeah. So anyway, so soapbox thing, <laughs> check, check time, time, time elapsed next. So, <laughs> So let's change the let's change the direction slightly here. Um, psychological state uh, induced by environments. So I worked in an organisation and they had a place called Pitch and Stadium, and it was it was great. It was an oval shaped table with the end cut off, so it wasn't quite oval, um, and a big video screen because we had a team in London and a, and a team in in the middle of the country, and there were chairs around the table. The team sat on those chairs. Sat back from the table was a continuous oval-shaped chair. It's like a sofa. And then sat above them was a stadium chair. So these were like the barstool chairs, yeah? And the rules were quite straightforward. If you were sat at the table, you were a member of the team. You were talking. You were running the meeting. If you were on the outskirts of it, if you were sat on the sofa... You were there because you'd either been invited or you had something you were going to be contributing, but you were not part of the team. So you were invited to speak and listen and contribute if required. And if you're on the top, if you're on the stands, anybody could be there, but you're there as a spectator. So we called it the pitching stadium. And it was great because people would come and sit there to listen to what the team was talking about. Um, The one thing I got from that was awareness, situational awareness and communications. The amount of information that flowed from that pitch and stadium was phenomenal. Hmm. 
Mm. You know, so the environment contributed to a psychologically safe environment. Because actually, when I was at the table, the guys sat behind me, I almost forget about them. The guys were sat behind them higher up. I'm certainly not even seeing them. Mm. And they'll sat up there and not allowed to speak. They can listen, <laughs> but they're not contributors. So you can use environments to create psychological safety. We also break out booths. I, I, well, let's talk about this uh, three-tier meeting room. I like this. This is kind of yeah. cool because uh, if you walk into the room, you know pretty. It's it's physically obvious that the core team would be in the middle. We can all full contribution, right? Yeah. And the outer, I like the the aspect where the second ring, um, they're co potential contributors. Let's say, yeah, they have something to bring mm -hmm. to the team. Which is kind of cool, right? Because you don't sit with the team. You still, well, wait a minute. Okay. Now I'm thinking about this. As a, as a individual bringing something to the team, the team is establishing that they are, that, that they're a click in the middle at that big table. Yeah. I have something that may open up the world to them as a contributor, but yet I have to sit back. Yeah. So is that making me feel psychologically safe as a contributor? Or is it put up a challenge and you're like, wait a minute. Um, I can't be a part of them, even though this is going to just wow them to some whole new level, potentially, or deflate mm -hmm. them to a whole new level either way. Um, even though I, I kind of like that it's, it's, you know, you quickly can recognize the boundaries again, or the roles, I guess, just by the physical makeup of the room. And I like the fact that the third tier are observers. You get to say nothing during the course of the meeting. We'll take comments maybe after as we close or something like that. Um, so we can chase down questions. But anyway, I mean, I, I question, uh, even though I like it, is that still, is that, appropriate or does that fall in line with what we've talked about in psychological safety or are there certain cases in regard to psychological safety that um, it's more important to make sure the team feels the ultimate safety um, versus somebody who wants to come in and just provide a perspective a, a data point uh, or information is, is that your way of protecting the team psychological safety so, so what you found on that middle tier were people tending to be there through invites or because they had expertise that was going to get drawn on. Yeah. So the people the team were drawing on who were not part of the core team. But what, it also, what you also had was people from other teams who were experiencing problems who were listening to see how your team was addressing it. You know, so nobody on that second row was there um, by invite. They were there through choice. Sorry, nobody forced themselves to be there. They were there by invite or they were there through choice. You know, so, so, so the rings establish how much listening you're going to be doing. Yeah, pretty much it did. Yeah. The outer <laughs> ring, you listen. There's no choice. You listen. The yeah. second ring listens predominantly 80 20, 80% listening, 20% speaking. Whereas the center group at the table are, you know, 100% engaged, actively engaged, listening, talking, speaking. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I really like. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. So the point is, it, it encourages safety and it encourages communication. Yeah, and that was uh, what I also uh, uh, want to add. It uh, you acknowledge they are present, you appreciate they are present, 
and they will feel also uh, safe because they invited, we trust to them and trust to their opinion and their input, which can contribute to the overall or bigger picture, both on the team, for example, delivery, but in the end, you know, to deliver value for customers or for, for the company. I really like idea. So I will try it then definitely when uh, once when we can sit in the office. <laughs> you know, that's it's a really actually it's a really interesting tool. Like if you think about it, how often have you been in with a team that's um, been really good, you know, about safe and, and working well. And all of a sudden, a member of the leadership team just shows up as part of, the, you know, the their gimba, their walk around. And all of a sudden, the, the dynamics, the, the whole room just shuts down. Because nobody wants to say that one wrong thing that's going to tick that individual off. If you said it, if they, they showed up at that third ring, right, there's no, there's no way for them by the construct of that physical room, per se, to cause any harm. It, it, it creates that bubble of safety for the team, really. And, it, and that's, yeah. not, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's Tom. We used to have directors walk through on a regular basis because they found it really interesting, but we never knew they'd even been there because yeah. they were literally bar stills, so they were that high up. And because mm -hmm. you were concentrating on the video screen in front of you and the team on the opposite side of the table, uh, mm -hmm. that, that organisation was running uh, a version of SAFE. Mm -hmm. So what we found on the on the the middle tier were the release chain people, the environment people, um, the people who had to do reports for other members of the organization um subject matter experts who you know dbas and people like that who were not part of the team but were going to be called on because do you have a view of this or the scheduler who was refreshing environments who was calling out mm. the deep manager those sorts of people yeah, guest speakers yeah. kind of they invite them as a guest guest speakers and yeah. then uh, automatically you know they feel appreciated you acknowledge you know their expertise and you are inviting them to join the crowd. Suddenly you are removing this boundary, us and them. Now we are us. More and more are getting us. You give them the cushy yeah. chairs, the, the lounge chairs too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And popcorn to the audience. That's one construct. I mean, this, as I said, it was a journey lab. So we yeah, had all, yeah. we had booths. Cool. That's pretty cool. We had cool. booths which were literally like um, cafe booths with, Four, four seats, four comfy seats, and a table, mm -hmm. and a for your screen, which would just take your monitor, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so you could have conversations in a comfy area with nobody else listening in on it that you needed to when you were trying to resolve individual things. Mm -hmm. um, you had proper breakout rooms, um, and it, it, what it did is it encouraged the communications. So you would pick the right environment for what you were trying to do. So I use the pitching stadium. For scrum of scrums because mm. i've got all the scrum scrum leads and the key players to the scrum of scrums the environment managers the defect managers the release managers and i ran my scrum of scrums from there because my audience could be quite big at times you know, as, as, as the enterprise scrum master in that scenario some days i would have three teams there some weeks i'd have 20 or 30 people who'd have something to contribute the time frame was always the same and that auditorium type setup allowed us to do it and get through it quite rapidly. But the environment goes back to what we're talking about, getting back on topic. The environment can be set up to encourage psychological safety. 
Yeah, yeah. And in mm. that case, I think it does a very good job. Now, question I have, if the team was um, too big, do you bring additional chairs to that center table? Make sure they don't get to sit on the, the, the cushy chairs. <laughs> um, so the, the, the meetings tended not to be too big because we were in two sites. Mm. So actually, you could have 30 people because you had the same setup down in London as well. Okay. The thing about the video conference is it was only focused on the table, so the outer ribbons were not even visible on the video conference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's interesting the dynamics when you bring people into a room as we start to think about going back to the office, right? Um, and it's kind of funny side note, you've seen all these pictures of people who put a picture up in front of the Zoom, in front of their camera and never move, you know, there's a lot of people. <laughs> How do you pull them in, you know, and, and make it a, the environment good for them to be contributors? But, you know, you, you bring them into a room and there's always a few that want to sit at the back and in the side and you have to pull them in. And I mean, I, I, I've been, there's one, um, this lady was just so well-spoken, just brilliant, literally brilliant. And she chose to sit back off of the team's table, per se, as, as we talked about what we were referencing earlier. Mm. But yet she had so much good stuff. It's like, can you please kind of kind of come close, be a part of this? You know, <laughs> almost yeah. begging her to, to come in and really sit at the table because and, and I think at times that's something we have to do is is uh, and maybe that's part of the nurturing, I guess. But yeah, I think environment makes a big difference. Um, environment, not just physical environment, but you know, the individuals that come into, like I said earlier, you know, when certain people walk into a room and how it uh, either increases um, the team's effectiveness or decreases it. So Tom, just going back to the person who's always at the back of the room, if you're on a brainstorming session, give them the pen, make them scribe it when, when we're at the whiteboards, because that brings them forward by default. So they don't have to. They don't have to say anything. But if they're holding the pen and they're having, they're going to say, "So did we mean this?" As they're writing it, you know. So when you're brainstorming and you're doing it on whiteboards around a room, there are different techniques you can use to actually encourage them to become part of it, even if they choose not to open the mouth. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, and I, and I hate to sometimes, you know, you need a scribe right for a meeting so you can keep track of things and. So I'm not saying scribe the minutes of the meeting. I'm saying when you're brainstorming. Yeah. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And um, you, you just kind of make them do something that's beneficial to the team. And as a process, as they're writing it down, they may find things that they may want to comment on, right? Because they're, they're pinned to whiteboard. Um, I don't know. I, that's like a, to, to me, that's like the last resort because I'd rather work on trying to get them to sit with the team and brainstorm with them as much as possible and if that just if they're just at that introverted then yeah as a last resort i'd give them a pen and say can you please you know it's uh, you know it depends on the individual yeah. uh, this yeah. goes back this goes back to why i don't do anything in a team for at least a week yeah because you understand how you meet mm. people where they're at and then you help bring them along you know so some of the techniques i use are anonymous techniques and you tend to find those people who are quiet may be questioning themselves and the capability, and that's why they're quiet. So, mm -hmm. so this is where anonymous techniques become very useful. Um, and those, those are the individuals that who who bring an idea quietly to the to the team. That's like boom, big, 
great yeah. idea. You really need to jump on that and say, that's fantastic. Thank you. You know, cause they took and put on the table, all the trust in the team with this idea that they've had brewing and you need to reward them for having that trust that they wouldn't get hurt in presenting their idea. And, and what's great is if you can get to the point as a coach, right? You may have to do that initially, but when the team steps up and does that, it's like, boom, they get it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about having an equal and understanding voice. So many, many years ago, I worked for an organization called Asda, which was bought by Walmart. Mm. Um, but when they were independent as Asda, which was associated dairies, we were trying to solve a problem. And we were in this meeting for two hours as a team. It wasn't an agile team, but two hours as a team trying to solve it. And then suddenly we'd been very quiet throughout, just turned around and said, have we thought about doing so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so? And the room fell silent. It was one of those drop-the-mic type moments. And everyone went, why didn't we think of that? That is so obvious. We just spent two hours. We could have just done that, and that's the answer. <laughs> it happens and it happens more often than I'd, I'd, I'd care to acknowledge and it usually is that introvert in the room who've not had the courage to speak up or who've not felt that got the opportunity my theory as to why or what gives them the capacity to deliver these diamonds is the fact that they listen so deeply to what's going on in being said and what's going on that they just it, it brews and brews and they work it out and then yeah. boom it's those are sweet moments i think you're absolutely right <laughs> if i go back to the other week when i was driving and i couldn't speak mm. you know i was forced to listen yeah and it yeah difference no, I don't know. I mean, the quality is pretty good either way, to be honest. With you. No, it was challenging me because I was listening and I was thinking, and like I do, you know, I've got a piece of paper in front of me. And I've been making notes of where you've been going along. And then I will, I'll go through some of them or I'll mark off and say somebody's mentioned that. But I will talk about it. But I, because I was in the car and I wasn't doing that, I was having to actively listen mm. But then the thought, the thoughts were reforming and then reforming again. So by the time I did actually speak, I'd probably been through four or five versions of it, mm. and it was much, much more meaningful for everybody, including myself. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> let's let's face it, guys. We sit here. We get together on Saturdays, and we spend well two, almost three hours sometimes, <laughs> um, just chatting about work, as some people like to to reference. I don't kind of see it as work, but I'm, which is weird. But um, so we like we like to hear ourselves talk, right? It's oh, efficient. But we, we do this. We're on a mission. We're on a mission to share all this stuff with everybody else that might want to just actually listen to the podcast. So, mm. Exactly. It's been good. It's been good. Okay. So we've got, you know, one of the things that, that in the title of the discussion for today, I want to move on here. It was um, psychological safety, creating, nurturing, and sustaining this vital agile belief. The word belief. I was struggling. What what should I put in there? Um, what's what's the right word for this? 
you know, it, it's almost like a as it could be an aspiration is a, re, a requirement or just uh, what really is psychological safety in relationship to agile? Humans, living people. And so it's yes. a requ- is it a requirement? I mean, you have to do this. Is, is if you make it a requirement? No, no, not in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, are you saying? Was your question? Do you have to be psychological safe? No, we uh, the we're talking psychological safety, and then yeah. within agile, and and I wrote it's a, a it's an agile belief. So I I kind of like. Hmm. Uh, if, if it's a belief that doesn't mean that you really have to take any action, it, it's just, it's, it's an idea. But is that really what psychological safety is? Follow? Because I, I don't think that you can create a high-performing, self-managing, self-organizing customer focused passionate meaningful team without actively establishing psychological safety so are you saying it's not a belief it's a, it, it's a mandatory yeah it's a mandatory as a italian friend of mine would say mandatory <laughs> hmm. i think it has to be the root because trust. Now we've established that it's trust, right? It's a reflection yeah. of trust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if we are as a team gathering together, either by someone assign us for it or we get together to do some work, right? There must be some belief while we are there. If it's agile or something else, but there is belief, there is cause we are there, right? Mm. And as we are going through this journey and gaining more and more trust for each other, then we will start feeling more and more safe to challenge each other, to push some of these binaries. And we will probably learn a lot of stuff on that journey. Requirement? I, I I don't think it, I don't think it's negotiable. Now, to the degree in which everybody embraces it, maybe there may be some variation there. You can't please everybody in all the time, and you know, we all are temperamental at times. But, but that's also nature of life, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot yet guarantee anything, not even for the family. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So we are doing our best and supporting each other, mm-hmm. you know, and that's uh, how we can also create or enhance this psychological safety mm-hmm. as well. So can either of you share, what was the, the best um, story in regard to psychological safety? Whether it's a good story or a positive or a negative, agile gardeners. So I was just thinking whilst you were talking there, and probably psychological safety is about being comfortable with your peers. Mm. 
Um, we recently did a course together and I was very uncomfortable with certain aspects of the course, especially when it was about self-evaluation because my perception of myself is different to others. I'm very comfortable around you guys and I actually play these podcasts back and I get more out of it playing it back than I do being part of it at times. Um, Psychological safety is about being comfortable with my peers. So the Agile Gardeners is an example of it for me. Okay, so so an indication that you're you're psychologically safe within a psychologically safe environment is comfort. Yeah. So that includes being comfortable with being challenged and feeling uncomfortable, ironically, which is why I said comfortable with my peers. Mm. Yeah, I think I I yeah, right. I mean, because you can't embrace change and challenge without having some conflict or or yeah challenges in in yeah, what you're it. thinking right you, you challenge each other to to get the best of anything um and when you do that and you feel good about it and you're you you're like wow i can't believe we just created this thing um those are incredible moments yeah and and, and I, yeah, that's interesting because trust, because you trust, and I think we all do as well as the others that, that join us sometimes is there's a level of trust. I mean, we don't all have all the answers and we just share ideas and experiences trying to help others um, understand possibly at least our views as the various areas of within agile and agility transformations. And um, it's cool that we all, I think we're all learning. We're comfortable because we're learning. We're learning about ourselves. I know I am <laughs> a lot. And um, and that's, and I'm comfortable enough to, to want to learn about myself with you guys because, you know, I expose, you know, things, mistakes I've made, things I've done maybe better um, and the like. Um, and topics that I'm, I'm certainly no freaking expert on by any means, but still learning. And, and that's just such a great feeling. And I, and I, you know, I always talk about meaningful, what's meaningful in what you do. And this is very, oddly enough, very meaningful for me. And I think Jonathan and, and Alan as well. I mean, you pull away from your late hours on Saturday to come and talk and, and share your experiences and you're excited about if, if, if everybody could see, you know, we always have like a little jam session before um, we start recording the stuff. And, and if people could see what we talk about, you know, in that 10, 15 minutes prior to hitting the record button, it's pretty cool. I mean, you're actually excited to be here. Like, well, I'm looking forward to this. Let's, what are we going to do next? And we've gotten like a, a list of topics that we're going to go on that's like three weeks out, which we've never done before. Um, so, I mean, it's not like we're going to run out of things to talk about. But that, that's, that's, I think, a reflection of our psychological safety amongst our group. I was going to say, I think it continued beyond Tom, because how many times have we actually run out of time after we've turned the recording off? Because we yeah. just continued talking about the topics. You know, I, I, I promote this as hard-hitting, unedited, straight-talking, raw experience, and sometimes controversial. And that's what it is. You know, it, we are speaking from the heart, we are speaking with passion, and we're speaking with belief. 
Now, if you pick any other environment, I will go, no way am I going to be doing that. Never in a million years. You know, and I've actually been asked, I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago as well, Tom, do we, or if it wasn't you, it was Paulie, do we rehearse this? You know, it's not. It, it's it's mm-hmm. dynamic, isn't it, guys? Mm-hmm. You know, and that is because, going back to the phrase again, I'm comfortable with you guys as my peers. Yeah, I, I think the, I think that this this gathering that we offer here is very unique. If you listen to other podcasts on Agile and stuff, they tell you all the, the right stuff. They don't tell you the actual stuff. The, like the, the book. The, the <laughs> shit that happens as you are an Agile coach, it's not all, you know, roses and sunshine. There's this, the, the, the dumbest things happen and you've got to, to step up to the opportunity in this situation. And we, we kind of throw it all out there. We've been around long enough where we've seen a number of things. <laughs> and um, I think that I, I wish I had this earlier on in my career, just to kind of like, oh, okay. So it's, I'm not a failure. This, this stuff does happen. And then you can come out on the other side of it, a, a better human being and a better organization as a whole. Cool. We're back to the human aspect of things. So, so if you have a garden, yeah. the best aspect of being a gardener is what happens in the garden. Mm. You plant your seeds, you watch it grow, but you don't actually know how it's going to turn out and you meander through it and you look at it and that's where you get the satisfaction knowing, you know, I participated in that, I've made that happen. But actually, I've helped it on its journey. It's actually done it itself. And this, these conversations start with heading, but we meander all over the place. And I think that's something else with other podcasts, the structured, very structured, and they hit the topic and they go, that's it, see you later, see you next week. We move around on the topics. We always come back to the core topic, but we meander with it and we go, when I play it back, I go, we've created that. And actually, I've just learned so much from it. <laughs> that's what I love about it. Exactly. Mm. Oh, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, uh, as uh, Jonathan mentioned, feel so comfortable uh, to join. And interesting thing, you know, every single Saturday after the uh, we finished the call, I, I said to my wife, damn, while we are not so closer, you know, while we are not living so closer to each other, so just go, you know, for, for a dinner or drink or something, yeah. have a feeling, you know, that we knew each other for a yeah, hundred years, feels so natural. Uh, and learning uh, as well a lot every time when we have, a, you know, this uh, gathering, I learned so much from you and I appreciate it. Uh, so I enjoy it big time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jonathan, when you were talking, when you made the reference to the garden again, it's like, I was wondering where you're going to go with this. And I'm going, yeah, sometimes you just have to shovel some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of yeah. the nurturing, man. Exactly. 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 I, think, I think that's really important to recognize, though, you know, because we, we're talking about difficult topics. Um, a lot of the podcasts are just telling you how great it is. And it's not always great. A lot of it's difficult, it's hard, it's controversial, it doesn't always work. And sometimes you've got to recognize when there's a, you are going to succeed, and sometimes you've got to recognize when you've just got to walk away from it. Yeah, you know, for me, I just, I just want to stimulate, help somebody see something from a different view that gives them the answer they need to, to move their team forward in a, in a direction that's, that's positive for them. That's what I'm hoping for. So, yeah. 
I call it healthy discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think that uh, we're we're near the end of our time, and uh, I'd ask any listeners if you have any uh, comments or subjects you'd like for us to hear, let us know. I think there's an email um, down at the bottom of the podcast in the links. But um, thanks again for a great. Um, discussion thank you for your patience with my technical difficulties um learning yeah keep the t off of the laptop keyboard (laughs) yeah i'll have to work on that one so gentlemen you have yourself a great uh remainder of the weekend thank you again thank you very much thank Thank you you very much Uh, see you guys see you bye